This episode is sponsored by Pearson Instruments. Brad Pearson is a luthier and guitar tech based in South Vancouver in the Marpole neighborhood. He's also a bassist who plays in the jazz scene and is a big supporter of local music in general. Take your string instruments to Brad to get them sounding beautiful and feeling great. Brad is always quick to turn around repair jobs and will put in all the work your instrument needs. Go to pearsoninstruments.ca to learn more about Brad and what he does. That's pearsoninstruments.ca to learn more. Thanks to Brad for sponsoring the show. This episode is also sponsored by 12th Street Sound, a recording studio in New Westminster run by owner and engineer Anthony Santorini. Anthony has worked with award-winning acts in all genres, and he's known for his professional approach to making great records at affordable prices. Go to 12thstreet.ca to learn more. That's 12thst.ca to learn more. Thanks to Anthony at 12th Street for sponsoring the show. Hello and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson, and this week, Louise Burns returns to the show. Louise is a singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer who has received consistent critical acclaim, including multiple Polaris Prize nominations over the course of her 20-plus year career. On her latest release, titled Element, Louise takes her synth-pop sound in a more meditative and atmospheric direction, reflective of a need for healthy escapism. We'll be digging into this in more detail on this episode, but first let's take a quick listen to my favorite track off of her new record, This Is Bloom. Uh, great to have you back on the show again. Thanks it's been, for having me. It's been a few years. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been like three years or something. Yeah. Which is weird. I know. Well, we'll talk a bit about it, but like the pandemic kind of felt like the shortest and longest apocalypse. Yeah, absolutely. At the same time. Yeah, the longest year. The longest three years of our lives, which felt like one month or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. Still processing. <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. What have you been listening to recently? Um, I've been listening to... Arca. I've been listening to a lot of uh, classical music. I've been listening to a lot of 90s, early 2000s dance music, like Sonique and uh, everything but the girl remixes and uh, stuff from my childhood that I'm rediscovering and feeling really good about, you know, that era of music. But yeah, I'm listening to a lot of stuff all the time. I'm pretty much every day is different for me. Um, But I really am quite into things that feel kind of calming right now in general. I have been for the last few years. Um, nothing abrasive, I think, because I find it not right for my mood these days. Yeah. 
It's funny you mentioned everything but the girl because I think they just dropped a new album. They're, I know. They're active on, again. On the same day as me. If I could play a show with them, I would just be, I'd be like, okay, I'm good. I'm done. I'd just, ta- I'd be okay to leave music. That would be the goal. So I, maybe, maybe they'll hear this. Yeah. Maybe they'll invite me. Tracy Thorne, I'm right here. I mean, honestly, <laughs> that, that sounds like an achievable goal. I mean, they're, oh they're a known band, but they're not, you know, it's not like you're asking to open for Beyonce or something like oh that. <laughs> no, but I think they're like cult status. Like they're sort of iconic that I think everyone, every they're like musicians, musicians. So mm-hmm. I feel like everyone would be vying for that. So that's a pipe dream. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of like, cool. like sparks in a way where like, yeah, they've got that critical yeah. acclaim, but they weren't yeah. like huge. Weren't huge. Yeah. Though had one hit, uh, which is, um, and I miss you. Like the Desert Smith. They, everyone knows that song. Yeah. But no, not a lot of people know anything else. Oh, like the de- Desert Miss the Rain. Yeah. 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 I think it's just called Missing You. But yeah. Funny how some big songs I don't know the title of, but I know every lyric. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe I'm not the most detailed listener. I don't know. <laughs> that was definitely a song that uh, was in rotation. Like I grew up on soft rock radio. Yeah. I like love soft what, rock. Love yeah. That, shit. that was yeah. the, what my, the one radio station my parents played in the car when they're driving me yeah. and my siblings around. So yeah, definitely best. heard that. Totally. Lunch yeah. hour music. I remember t- being taken to piano lessons in, in whatever school I was in, grade eight, grade five, who knows, and having that soft radio on every lunch hour on the local radio station totally made an impact of, you know, a core memory for me, which is why I think I'm going back to it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, uh, and I guess this is also just speaking to, to my age and stuff, but every time I hear like late nineties, like dance music, it, I, I really get nostalgic for places like Stardust Roller Rink, which closed oh my God. way too long ago. Where's was, that? Uh, start, where was Stardust? Stardust was, I want to say around <laughs> Richmond. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I didn't grow up here. So a lot mm-hmm. of nostalgia is attached to my small town of Cranbrook, BC. So Cranbrook. for me, it's Cranbrook. Shout yeah. out. It, Madison I, on the show recently. Oh, yeah. She's a Cran. Yeah. yeah. She's a Cranbrook girl. And um, <laughs> I actually met up with her. I was in Cranbrook a couple summers ago. And uh, the Armand Theater is in Cranbrook, BC. And I know that there are steps being being taken right now to make it into like an operating venue again. And I would love to see that. But whenever I hear of music from that era, I think of the Armand Theater <laughs> in Cranbrook, BC. So this month marks a full year since all COVID restrictions were lifted by the BC government, which is kind of crazy that it's only been a year yeah. thinking about that. Wow. Um, what have been some highlights for you over this past year with the return of touring and everything? Oh, man. I mean, I'm like, I'm a travel person. So the second I was able to, I was on a plane. It was cool to be able to go to shows. I still felt kind of weird at first. I think I was a bit nervous. Felt kind of weird going into big rooms with the humidity level. <laughs> now we're so much more aware of germs and how you know, easy it is to transmit. But for me, I don't know, just being able to go to the airport and not show my vaccine passport, that's fun. To be able to go to a venue and not worry that I'm going to infect everybody I know at this point anymore is nice. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I can't really separate the years like that. I can't really differentiate what is different because every, every, I don't know. It's like a big mush of what's happened in the past three years. But I'd say, I think straight up traveling in general um, is, is great. I'm very happy we can do that again. Yeah, absolutely. I was able to, did some traveling down to the States late last year. And I was like the most traveling I'd done in, well, yeah, just years. Yeah. Because of, 
everything. So, oh God, it's the worst. I really, I'm not a homebody. I just, I need to be always going somewhere. <laughs> and part of it is, I think, just growing up touring. I, it's like ingrained in me. It's not, I don't know if it's a positive thing, but yeah, it just feels so nice to be able to go and not feel guilty. Not, I, I drove from Mexico here to here in Mexico and back last year. And that was really, really cool just to be able to go across the States and see all these different places. I haven't been before and just have that freedom again and I guess we really took that for granted before the pandemic and yeah that's a whole other conversation but yeah yeah I definitely got to travel more especially with the pandemic like you know it's like oh this can be taken away at any time so I'm like yeah I know I really got to plan that trip to Japan oh absolutely (laughs) Yeah. yeah definitely go to Japan if I go, I'd love to like uh, sort line it up so I could go to a festival or something like that. Yeah, Fuji Rock. Yeah, That'd there's just so many. Well, I, but I'd be wanting to like see their bands. Like, yeah, I know, you know, I'm familiar with the North American bands that yeah. play here all the time. So. J-pop, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Baby Metal's coming here in October, so I'm kind of like, yeah, it'd be pretty absolutely. fun. Absolutely. There used to be a Japanese um, showcase at the Biltmore. Yeah, I never got a chance to see any of them, but like, it yeah. was so cool that they did that. Yeah, it was really cool. I don't know what I don't know if this happened recently. I used to go quite often, but yeah. Yeah, there's one band called Trico that I really like, and if they ever came here, I'd be there in a second. So. Absolutely, yeah. So I guess speaking of the mush of the last couple of years, um, <laughs> in summer 2020, well, and a few different people were doing this, but you hosted a podcast called Record Club. I did, yeah. 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 Uh, and what that show was all about was it gave a platform for storytellers to explore a particular record that shaped them. So I'm curious as to what was your favorite episode to record and what record would you pick for an episode? What was my favorite to record? I really liked recording the Janet Jackson one. I think that was just really fun to get back into that era of music. And New Jack Swing is something I hadn't ever really dove deep into. I just, I love Janet Jackson. I think she's amazing. She's so underrated. And that era of music she made was just incredible. So I think if I were to pick a record, I would probably pick Kate Bush, Hounds of Love. I think that most people either had a story or now certainly do about (laughs) Kate Bush. Mm -hmm. She's like a huge, huge, huge influence of mine. And uh, I think she's also pretty underrated as a, as an artist and a songwriter. And I think everyone has such a unique connection to her, or at least aside from TikTok, which is cool too. Like new generation finding old music is really special. But um, yeah, I just have so many fun things I want to talk about about Kate Bush and I know a lot of people feel the same. Yeah, that's an artist where I've been really mean to listen to every album in yeah. her catalog like front to back because I know yeah. there's like a lot of good stuff to explore. It's fantastic. It's incredible. And she's such an amazing producer and doesn't get credit for that because mm-hmm. she didn't really produce for other people. But yeah, she's she's just amazing. And um, one of those people that I look up to because she never really cared about following trends or being part of some sort of movement. She just did her own thing didn't really tour, (laughs) like lived in the country somewhere and made these records that feel like you're going into a new place, you know, like you feel like you're removed from reality when you're listening to them. And I think that's really special and kind of hard to pull off, you know? Yeah, especially the, got to give her a lot of credit for like being consistently successful while not touring because I mean, it's kind of been in the ether with all the conversations about like, you know, just challenges in the industry and especially like challenges post post COVID is, you know, oh, if you want to make any money at this, you got to tour and you yeah. got to tour like crazy. So, yeah. And it's totally like for me, I've been touring since I was 15 and I'm totally 
looking forward to spending more time in the studio in the future rather than on the road. So I think looking up to the way she's done it is really inspiring to me. I also think that now is kind of a cool time to be a touring artist because we have so much different technology available to us to make for a different live experience, you know? Mm -hmm. Like the rise of spatial audio and 4D sound and the way that we can now portray our music in, in live venues is, is going to be changing a lot in the next few years. So that's actually kind of exciting. But the idea of touring right now for me, I've just gotten so comfortable being like in my zone. I'm like, oh man, do I really have to go across the country again in a minivan? And the answer is yeah. And I, I would at any, I would say yes to anything, but there's a part of me that's like, man, Kate Bush, she did it right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she did it right. Enya as well. Enya never tours. Oh, my God. Yeah. Don't even get me started on Enya. <laughs> There's another record I would like to talk about. I think that The Memory of Trees by Enya. Everyone's mom had that record or their aunt or something. Uh, my mom, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How old are you? I'm 31. Okay, so, yeah, I'm, I'm 37. We're all of the millennial generation. Mm-hmm. And I think every millennial person out there has this weird sort of like inherited Enya connection. And I think that's really fun to talk about too. From all of our moms. Yeah, from all our moms. And as we get older and you know, you sort of like lose the interest in being like, look at me, I'm cool, I listen to this. Like you're identifying like currency of cool, sort of like I listen to this band, therefore I'm cool kind of shit. Like you kind of just don't care when you get older. Yeah. And I think Enya is really, when you let go of that, Enya just comes fucking pouring in and takes over everything at least she has for me especially during the pandemic oh it's oh well i mean uh, i can't remember the name of the record but the album with caribbean blue on it yeah like that album i listened to a lot and it was like a therapeutic paint the sky with stars maybe uh it was the one it was like her second or third album yeah yeah it was uh it came out after the the record with uh oak Carino flow on it yeah i love caribbean blue that's like one of my faves yeah. and book of days which sounds like it's for some reason like sometimes when i hear it i'm not fully paying attention it sounds like the titanic soundtrack so <laughs> clearly i'm like having an existential crisis because i'm just like living in the past right now i don't want to uh, knock celine dion too hard because she's been having a bit of a tough time lately but I, oh i love her i yeah. mean the soundtrack not a bad thing but it's interesting why i'm grabbing on to this like james horner to 1997 yeah. like it, it's cool if maybe i listen to more modern music too but for some reason i'm stuck in the i'm stuck in the 90s right now I'm living my best teen life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I was just going to say that, like, I wonder what uh, uh, My Heart Will Go On would it sound like with Enya singing it instead of Celine, Oh, but, damn, that yeah. would be good. I would like to hear that, yeah. Yeah, it's weird, uh, I, and I think a lot of a lot of people's moms around our, our age range were like this. It was a lot of, so it was like so, soft rock radio yeah. in the car, and then it was a lot of uh, Enya, Lorena McKinnon, yes. Josh Groban, and... I'm using air quotes here. World music that yeah. was primarily just Celtic music absolutely and like some Celtic, Arabic yeah. sounding stuff. But <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, oh, that's world music. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Gypsy Kings. Was that ever? Oh, yeah. Gypsy Kings. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Big, big Best Gypsy Kings. rendition of Hotel California ever. Oh, fantastic. Also, absolutely. My Way by Frank Sinatra. That covers Absolutely. Great. And Bombaleo. I mean, every, that's a big hit, man. Everyone knows Bombaleo. Yeah. I didn't know they were French. What? They're yeah, they're f- French. I thought they were from Spain. Oh no! Well, they're from a region of France that's like literally on the border. Oh, but, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. How that- did I not know that? I love to Google this kind of shit. That's fascinating. Over the past few years, you've been increasingly active as a producer, working with the likes of Jody Glenham, Haley Blaze, and Michaela Slinger on the recent records. How would you describe your approach as a producer? 
I am all about songwriting and vocals. That's my primary focus. And for in production, um, I really, I really, really want to make sure the song comes through for me. Um, and vocal production is everything. So having a strong vocal, having lots of background vocals, having a really, really defined sense of what the vocalist should sound like is really important to me. And you know, I'm like seven years in at this point. I have been producing for myself for much, much longer, but producing for other people is very different. And um, I think that as I get further and further into it, my style is starting to really take a lot more of a turn into the more technical world of vocal production. But I also really, really love world building. And I mean, as a producer, you're you're basically like there to service somebody, right? You're there to like give them their vision. Um, and as I've done more and more records, I'm finding that the sort of therapeutic aspect to being a producer is ultimately one of the most important things as well. So for me, my style is really making sure the artist is comfortable and confident and feels really good about their music and making sure that the foundation is strong. I don't like working with people who don't have great songs. It doesn't tend to, it's not, you know, it's not very. I think that's just the bane of every producer's existence. Like, all right, what you got? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, okay, well, yeah. And not to say like I'm the, some sort of like, I think everyone, everyone has to have their sort of standards though. And for Mm -hmm. me, songs have to be good before I say yes to something. And if they're not good, then I have to come into it being like, we're going to work on your songs first because these aren't ready yet. And um, I think if you don't have a good song, then it doesn't matter what you put onto it production wise. You can add all the crazy, um, you know, programming, but it's not going to change the fact that it's forgettable. So for me, it's all about making a good song and then showcasing that and playing with bleeps and bloops, of course, because that's very fun too. But I'm, I'm an in-the-box producer, I'd say, primarily at this point. I really, um, I really like the idea of approaching music from a really democratic point of view, I guess you could say, where you can have really expensive-sounding drums and, and strings and, and, um, and vocal production for a really low cost these days. And I grew up in really big studios, like in Los Angeles, like Cherokee Studios and Westlake and stuff. And I grew up around SSL boards and engineers and old school everything and analog. And I'm so not interested in that right now as a producer, which is kind of fun. I didn't expect that for myself. So yeah, it's all about creating a world and making sure everyone's feeling good and keeping the cost down because no one has any money, you know? No one has any money. It's, it's, yeah, grants or, you know. Grants, exactly. (laughs) It's the music industry. It's a clown show. So, you know, (laughs) that's really what it's all about for me is good songs. What has it been like uh, working with other artists in a different capacity than, say, performing live with a group? I much prefer being in the studio for for myself. Um, I'm not, like, a huge lover of performance. Um, That's not to say I don't love it. I do, but I'd rather be in the studio at any given moment. Um, and I think being with other artists is really fun, especially when they're younger. Cause I grew up in the music industry. I I'm a little jaded. I can be really bitter sometimes and I don't like that about myself. So when I'm around young, excited, exuberant energy, writing songs and getting in the studio for the first time, it really gets me into this really, I feel the buzz and I really feed off of that. It makes me really happy. And it makes me, it reminds me of why I'm still in music. You know, it's about making cool shit and making great songs and singing them. And um, yeah, for me, I'm always going to be excited to work with people like that, I think. 
Yeah, my band was in the studio last year for the first time, and oh, just like I just want to go back. And yeah, just, like, isn't that the best? It's always just like spending days, just like working yeah. on stuff. Yeah, like, it's the best. Yeah. It's the best. And I think for me, I'm really, I'm really like I love the idea of approaching it like a nine to five job as well. When I'm taught, not like for me specifically is how I approach my my career. Um, I'd love to be able to produce full time, but of course, I'm I'm living in the most expensive city in the universe, so we <laughs> Next do all to San Fran. San Fran's got that yeah, one San edge. Fran- of oh us. God, San Francisco, exactly. But um, I really find that it's I love talking about creativity and peaks and valleys and your own create your, your own creativity in everyday life and work. And in the studio, it's so interesting how you can see the ebb and flow of ideas come and go based on the time of day, the mood everyone's in, if they've fucking ate in food or if they've had a fight or whatever. And that stuff is equally interesting to me as much so, almost as much as so as the songwriting. So yeah, the studio is always just a magical place because you just see people at their best and at their worst. (laughs) And ideas, good ideas and some really Mm -hmm. bad ones too. I know one of the records you worked on was Panorama by Michaela Slinger. Yeah, Yeah. The question I had about that, because like, you know, I've listened to it a couple times, is actually an honorable mention for our best of 2021 episode, the I guess interludes with interviews with Michaela's grandparents. Yeah, yeah was yeah. that like something that like Michaela came up with, or like I'm curious as to like how oh, that, that was all Michaela. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Me, Kevy, and I produced it. You must have interviewed Kevy before. Kevy Mental. He's um, another producer and an artist. He's in a band called Fake Shark, and him and I work together a lot. We're really great. We work really well together, um, and. I have to say like Michaela is such a visionary. She knows exactly what she wants. She has so many ideas and she came fully with that whole idea when we first started making the record. So that's totally all, all Michaela. Yeah. She, she thinks like a producer. I've always said that to her. Like she kind of has the big picture in her head already mm-hmm. and we're just there to facilitate it and kind of, you know, give it a little bit of extra input but yeah she's such a she's an island of an artist she can do anything makes your job easier when it's like oh just okay let's just realize this oh it's the best i love when everyone knows exactly what to do it's such a fun feeling so i want to dig into uh the new record element a bit i read that you were attempting to create your own world with this release some of the first songs were written during the worst of the pandemic yeah how is this reflected in the overall tone of the release i'm really uh yeah, one of the biggest things for me was to create a feeling that was um, similar to the feeling I get when I'm traveling or when I'm on the move somewhere, like flying in an airplane or driving in a car for a long time or being somewhere new I haven't been before. That feeling I missed so much during the lockdown that I started to create these worlds in my in my little studio that felt like I was still doing stuff like that. Um, so it affected the palette of of tones and sounds I was using and affected which synthesizers I was choosing and what kind of melodies I was writing. And I just wanted to create a record that reminded me of travel and moving and, and being somewhere else. Escapism. I love escapism and I'm not a big like diary entry, hard on the sleeve person. I'm really like a fantastical thinker. I think a lot of like (laughs) non-reality and I wanted to be I just wanted to lean into that a little bit more for production especially the record itself was recorded over about two and a half years between Vancouver and Mexico a very different experience than uh, the LA sessions for portraits yeah 
How did these circumstances inform like the overall sound or vibe of the release? I think I wrote a lot of it after traveling to Mexico and worked a little bit on it in Mexico, but mostly I worked on it here with Jason Corbett in his studio, Jackknife Sound, um, which is over near Rain City on Salisbury there. And uh, for me, I was traveling to Mexico before the pandemic quite a bit. Um, my partner has a place down there and we we would go and just surf and spend time at the beach. And it was such a nice, amazing reality because I'd been going through some stuff in my personal life and it was just a really great change. And I was feeling really connected with like beach culture and surf culture. It was so different for me because I'm like a vampire when I live in Vancouver, like I don't leave my house, <laughs> but it was so different and fun and felt so light and inspiring. So I took that feeling and I really added those kind of like oceanic sounds to my record. Like there's whale samples, dolphin samples, ocean wave samples, and lots of like organic percussion that make me think of my time I spend in Baja, California, Mexico. Um, so that was really important to bring into the production. And also it was interesting because we recorded in a studio maybe like twice the size of this space, really tiny, and just filled with Jason Jason's amazing equipment. And it was very like insular, very... Uh, not claustrophobic it could have been claustrophobic but it was just jason and i in a small room most days and we just we didn't rush through it we didn't stress ourselves out we just really gave ourselves time to make it into what it became and that was really a fun freeing feeling as well just no time constraints i mean no one was like screaming at me to release a record the demand was not high so we took our time and really played with it and um i wanted the record to feel like um like a feel like calm and not stressed. I didn't want to capture the feeling of stress that we were all feeling it. I'm just not interested in that. I wanted to make it a piece that you could listen to and feel um, a little bit better after listening to it, I guess you could say, though not all my lyrics are exactly soothing, but <laughs> I think the palettes I chose are relatively soothing. Yeah. I, I mean, certainly with the pandemic, I found myself gravitating more towards Calmer, yeah. less stress music, and also yeah. like, but like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna watch comedy shows yep. because I can't yep. do dramas right now. <laughs> Big time. I yeah. haven't watched a drama in at night in years because I get nightmares. I'm such a child. But <laughs> I I get I, wild dreams. Yeah. I get like crazy dreams. I yeah. I'm not sure if you've had this, but I have had like recurring imagery that has gone away. But like, I know it was associated with specific stressors where I'd encounter like gigantic like white like greco style statues but they'd be like changing shape and they'd be like really imposing and freaky and stuff like that and, whoa yeah that sounds like a video game from the 90s yeah <laughs> that's really crazy mine manifested as i i just have like horrific um accident scene scenes in my dreams oh. horrific like really violent <laughs> and yeah, it's it's like a it's an issue. I've been to therapy for it. It's so bad sometimes. So I'm really careful with what I watch, mm. especially during the pandemic. But have you heard of sleep parasites? I don't know much about this. I should research it more. But somebody told me about it once. Sleep parasites. Sleep parasites. It's I mean, like that's an awesome band name, right? That's a 
Yeah. Like awesome metal band. Yeah. <laughs> like, Anyone right can take it. I'm not using parasites. it. Sleep parasites. Exactly. <laughs> uh, they're, they're basically like recurring characters that show up in your dreams. Mm, okay. And there's more to this. I'm not an expert, but somebody told me this once and I created like a whole definition in my head that's probably not true, but mine, mine used to come to me in my most stressed out moments in my dreams and it looked like Pugsley from, from the Adams family, but like a demented version of Pugsley. Oh. Oh, yeah, dear. it was awful. And one day I was walking through Valley Village with my friend Adele and she I told her about my sleep parasites. This was 10 years ago when I lived in Toronto, but I I was walking through with with my friend and she looked up and she pointed to a shelf and she's like, is that like your sleep? your sleep parasite and it was it was like my it was my fucking sleep parasite demon that's sitting on the couch yeah or sitting on the shelf it was crazy and i don't think he ever came back to me after that moment it was weird Mm. i gotta research this stuff more i'm sure there's lots of people out there who are like super into this shit oh yeah there's probably a tiktok for this you know this is probably a tiktok thing i'm too old to figure it out but i'm sure it exists my roommate (laughs) has like a dream dictionary Whoa, I never yeah. looked up statues, but I really should. You really should, yeah. yeah. That also really does sound like a weird, like some sort of scene from Reboot or something like yeah. that you're playing in your brain. Something out of like Lawnmower Man or something. Yeah, totally. I like it though. Yeah. It sounds terrifying, but like in a uh, fun way. I mean, yeah, it was interesting. I think it might it might tie into stuff that bothers me. Like I don't really like... Uh, I. Oh, taxidermy gives me the willies and yeah. i hate wa- wax museums so like oh yeah i mean I like tie yeah. into that <laughs> have you been to the one in L- hollywood in la uh no I <laughs> it's haven't. so bad oh. it's amazingly bad it's like actually amazing <laughs> i saw a pretty funny video where it was like this uh this wax museum in poland and it was hilarious oh, wow. because yeah. like the crappiest yeah. wax museum like yeah. nobody looked like someone like, who had never met a celebrity before yeah. like yeah i'll totally make like yeah this is what tom cruise looks like <laughs> oh yeah that like they had tom cruise and you're just like oh <laughs> yeah. oh gosh <laughs> who what <laughs> they like they had shrek and he just had this like uh, like stressed cat look on his face like mm. oh my god <laughs> yeah. amazing oh I love that I love that shit actually I love it when pop culture gets like morphed into something else I yeah. think it's great it's kind of like a, I, I will say like I don't like taxidermy but I will admit like some taxidermy fails are pretty hilarious they're pretty they're pretty funny yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen a few that are yeah I grew up in like in the Kootenays and a lot of people hunt and it's what most, you do it's what you do in the Coonies and I will say like I'm vegetarian but like there's a lot of people I grew up with who hunt for their food and yep. like they totally use the whole animal and I think that's really cool and I like looking at that kind of taxidermy because it feels like some sort of honorable thing but the ones I've seen on TikTok when people get their pets done and stuff like oh my god no <laughs> oh my you know, you god you do that with a family member because nope. you'd go to jail forever yep. if you did that yep <laughs> so absolutely. don't do it to your pet nope that's PSA don't up. stuff your pets that's fucked up it's really <laughs> fucked up <laughs> the you mentioned uh, and I'll dig into this a little bit that the album was co-produced by Jason Corbett that's right actors who's worked with many bands that have been featured on this program. What was it like collaborating with him on this project, considering his background in like goth rock and synth pop? Oh, it was great. I've known Jason for years, and um, he's such a good friend of mine that it's really important for me to have a rapport and a a closeness with people in the studio. It's like if I'm not laughing, then I'm not I'm not fucking doing it. You know, like we have such a good time, and I we I actually share a lot of the same influences as him, so. You know, I can reference things like Depeche Mode and The Cure, and he knows it better than I do, you know. Um, but also, it was fun because we both we both wanted to work with each other. We have for a long time, but we both 
knew that we could learn from each other as well. And for me, it was just really fun watching him work with all of his gear and him coming up with amazing riffs really, really quickly. And for me, I kind of came at the whole record, as I often do, just pure pop all the time, vocals, pop, harmony. And it was really fun because we just kind of complimented each other. And we had the same idea of what days should look like, which is another thing for me that's really important. Um, I don't work at night very well. I get up really, really early. (laughs) So really taking advantage of prime times and working together and having this really amazing, really productive time together during a, during a time where we still had to mask up and everything. Like it was weird. Um, but just approaching it, knowing that we had this many hours a day, we were going to get as much done as we could, but we were not going to freak out about it and lose our minds if we didn't. It was just a really nice approach to how we both made the record. And we were both working on different records at the same time. So it was kind of this nice symbiotic relationship where we totally knew what was going on with each other at all times. And um, yeah, it was really great. And he let me bring my puppy in, which was awesome because I adopted a dog as everyone did during the pandemic. And she was teeny tiny when I first started making the record and I couldn't leave her anywhere. So she'd come with me to the studio and I put her in a crate and she'd just be like screaming and I'd be like trying to track. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. But Jason was so patient (laughs) and cool with that. And that's kind of why I loved working with him. He just, he was very patient with not only that, but just, um, I'm a really, I'm really hard on myself in the studio, which sounds a little bit like, um, patronizing or self self like um congratulatory or something but what i mean is that i'm never really um satisfied with a vocal take until i do it a thousand times and i re-sang like the whole record three times so oh man yeah and i brought in actually um carolyn quinn who's an amazing vocal producer and vocal coach and she really really helped me kind of get the songs where they needed to be vocally because I just wasn't happy with anything that was happening in here. And um, I owe so much to her for this record because I, could, I, I couldn't even sing it. I wrote it and I couldn't even sing it. So yeah, shout out to CQ. But you got it done. I got it done. <laughs> yeah, three times, but three times a charm, they say. Speaking of uh, Depeche Mode, the record features a cover of an early single of theirs called See You. And yeah. I honestly prefer your take on the song. <laughs> and maybe you. that might speak to uh, just, you know, most people's taste when it comes to Depeche Mode with their catalog. But um, I'm curious as to what inspired you to uh, pick that track from, yeah, from you know, all the albums that they've released. I guess it was probably too obvious to pick something off of Violator. Oh, God, yeah. No, you can't touch Violator. I mean, that's just, that's a violation. You yeah. can't touch Violator. I think for me, I, I love Depeche Mode. And any sort of band like Depeche Mode, The Cure, The Beatles, um, any sort of band with like an iconic, legendary status, you're you're kind of entering the danger zone mm-hmm. by choosing to cover them. But for me, I, I just sort of knew that if I chose an earlier song and I wasn't precious about it, then, I mean, it just felt right to me. So I love, I love, love, love simple pop songs, ones that are effective with the least amount of bleeps and bloops possible. And Depeche Mode, specifically Martin Gore's writing, is so rooted in old pop music, you know? Like, he really knows how to write a fucking song, that guy. And I think that if you hear See You, you can hear it so many different ways. You could hear it like an old 50s 
sort of rock and roll song. You could hear it like a ballad. You could hear it as a, like a literal Celine Dion could sing that. Not actually, that wouldn't be right. No, not <laughs> Celine Dion. But she could, like Elvis could do it. You know what I mean? Like it, it could be done any different way because it's such a great song. So I wanted to just kind of give it my own shot because I felt like it. <laughs> and knowing full well that Depeche Mode have the kind of fans that, would come with, you know, swords if I try. But at, at the same time, I'm just not that precious of a person. And I love Depeche Mode and it felt like a fun thing to do. So I gave it my best shot. Yeah. yeah and I mean, it was like a single, like they have a music video for it and everything, but I wasn't even yeah. familiar with it. Oh, but, the videos are amazing. Uh, they're like <laughs> playing like the little like um, cash register as synthesizers. Yeah, and like they're the like, telephone. Oh, I yeah. love it. It's so brilliant. I yeah. love just like simple but brilliant ideas. It makes me so happy. Yeah the music videos especially it's like part of it is like just budgetary constraints like all right let's be effective with what we got exactly and i think that's so fun like i love making music videos because i but when i was in lilix we had crazy budgets like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars american it was insane and what was that money spent on i don't fucking know like they weren't exactly groundbreaking videos you know so not to like knock them or anything, but like really the innovation was not there. It was just like cool beauty shots or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you're working with a thousand dollar budget, what are you going to do? You got to create your own sets. You have to work with whatever you have available to you, whatever cameras are there. And I think the best ideas really come out of that world. Even though ironically, I bet Depeche Mode's budget was probably pretty extraordinary back then for what they were, you know, yeah. like doesn't look it with that video specifically, no, but no. they were signed like they were signed yeah. pretty early. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. they definitely had some money behind them, but um, yeah, they, their technology was obviously not <laughs> nowadays it's primal, but at the time was quite expensive, like home video cameras. I mean, I had one growing up cause I think we bought one in the 90s, but I remember it being like a fortune. Like my parents paid like $500 for it or something, you know? And nowadays it's, we have a phone. Yeah. Which are more than $500, but do a lot more things, you know? Exactly. Well, you can add it on your you phone. Can, yeah, you can yeah. do everything. It's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, Depeche Mode's one of those bands that another group, kind of like Kate Bush, where I really need to listen to their stuff front to back. Because yeah. I know with Depeche Mode, it's like, as everyone does, I tend to, tend to gravitate to like, oh, I'll start with music for the masses and then just yeah. go from there. I love Black Celebration. That's my favorite one. Is that the one with the, like the swan on the cover? No, that's like their first one, Speak and Spell. I yeah. So Black Celebration is um has got, I mean, question of lust. It's a question. It's, it's um, question of lust. And it has, um, oh my God, now I'm going to forget all the song titles. I don't think it actually has everything counts. I think that one's on a different record. Anyway, Black Celebration is my favorite, even though I don't remember any song off of it, but highly recommend. Um, Yeah, their whole catalog is incredible. They're just one of those bands that evolve and change as different members come and go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're just, they're a fucking great band because they have great songs. And Martin Gore, his voice just has not changed at no, all. No, I know. It's kind of like uh, Mick Jagger. It's like yeah. the advantage of like, oh, if you just sing that way, then. Yep. Yeah. And it's not in the way. I mean, I sound like I have a horrible voice right now because I have. A, I'm just recovering from a cold. But a lot of people do tend to sing incorrectly when they're younger, myself included. I'm just learning all this stuff now. Is with Carolyn Quinn is a vocal, my vocal producer, teacher, coach, or whatever. But having the ability to retain 
a pitch and to be able to sing in the same key that you wrote in when you were younger, like that's incredible. Not a lot of people can do that. So it's really, I mean, it's really important as well. Like I, it's always, it bums me out when you see a band, especially when they're an older legacy act and like yeah. vocalist starts going and you're like, oh, yeah. you didn't take care of your voice at all. Yeah. And didn't even try to salvage it. It's yeah. so true. Like, you know, talking in loud venues is the number one thing really it's just talking and of course alcohol cigarettes all that bad lifestyle stuff no, but cigarettes especially is oh yeah horrible horrible yeah but also really unless you're tom waits <laughs> unless you're tom waits exactly then you it have gives to. you more power <laughs> i sound a little bit like tom waits today because i have I, but i haven't been smoking i've just been sick but um yeah it's it's really the it, the most interesting instrument that you have you know mm-hmm. you can control it and do everything you need to do without touching anything it's incredible Kind of uh, on the same sort of wavelength with Depeche Mode. Thinking about your last couple of records and also just in general, I mean, as I'm sure you're aware as well, like the sounds of 80s pop and the 80s aesthetic, they've had like a resurgence in cultural appreciation over the past couple of years. Uh, you can point to like huge hits from The Weeknd and Stranger Things and all that stuff. Um, and certainly I can hear a notable, uh, noticeable influence of 80s pop in your music. Um, what do you think it is about the 80s or like a particularly remembered version of the 80s that music fans continue to be drawn to? Big hair, big snare, man. It's just like really, I, again, for me, it's all about the songs. It's the songs of the 80s are fucking great, you know? Um, production was kind of like advancing, but still limited. So mm-hmm. people still had to have good songs. And I, I can't say like, I'm not the kind of person that thinks that nowadays music sucks. Cause I think music nowadays is, there's some phenomenal shit out there. But I think that when you go back earlier and even earlier, if you didn't have a great song as a foundation, then you didn't have anything really to work with. Cause there's a lot of garbage from the eighties too. There's a lot of real cheese and it's not memorable. It's not, it doesn't age well, but things like I was listening to Paul Simon on the way here on the satellite radio, which I love. And it was, um, you can call me Al. Oh, I was, Graceland. I have that yeah. album on vinyl. I love that it's album. It's fantastic, right? It's great songs. And I think you can call me Al is probably the most 80s kind of sounding song mm-hmm. on the whole record. Um, but it's interesting because it's really like not, like how is it 80s? I think there's a bit of an atmosphere to it, you know? Like 80s has a bit more atmosphere, I think. And and there's, I think, a lot to be credited towards um the synthesizers and having affordable synthesizers for more people and just the rise of technology. It was just like the perfect storm, you know, having new access to new equipment, new automation, new keyboards that didn't cost, you know, Fairlight was like 50 to 70 grand in this. Holy like crap. it's crazy how expensive it was. Um, and just having like, I'm not a synth expert, but I'm pretty sure synthesizers started to become become affordable in the 80s especially the mid 80s where you could take them home and Mm -hmm. start producing using them so um there's that and there's nostalgia you know everyone kind of has an 80s connection through a parent or through being born in the 80s like myself or um or some kind of like pop culture moment but yeah i don't know i think there's there's a lot to be said about the 80s and there's a lot to be said about the 90s too now, but I think there's really ultimately atmosphere, innovation and technology and a certain kind of like excessive romanticism that was yeah. perhaps really like utilized, you know, like everyone was making money. The 80s was a big, there was a big economic upturn in North America. I'm again, not a financial expert, but you know, 
we've all seen the Wolf of Wall Street and uh, seeing how that is reflected in music and how people were kind of trying to be these like Miami Vice people and their synthesizers, mm-hmm. driving Corvettes. It was like a way to be accessibly like accessible wealth, but not actual wealth or something. I don't know. I could probably talk about this for hours. I don't really know exactly what it is, but it's a vibe. The 80s is a vibe. Yeah. Big hair, big snare. And I think it like it really helped. Uh, I think the 80s is really great. And this is just a general observation as a rock fan. I think the 80s is really great if you were a band finding your footing in the 80s. Although I find some some 70s bands kind of stumbled into that decade a little yeah. bit. They're but, like, whoops, like Jefferson Starship. Like, oh. whoops. <laughs> Even though I love, the, I, we built this city. I, am a, I love to laugh at YouTube. Like, that's my favorite thing. Old music videos. I think they're funny. I, some people watch stand-up. I watch, like, old music videos. Have you watched the music video for Total Eclipse of, of the Heart? Yep. Oh, my God. Yep. That music video is wild. Wow. I love it. Yep. That one plus um, there, that one, Meatloaf, I will do anything for Oh, I haven't love. seen that one, but I need to. Yeah. <laughs> Please watch. Yeah. It is something else. <laughs> and then there's, like, Celine Dion. Um, it's all coming back to me now. Those three songs have a very similar music video. I think they do at least. Like watch, just... watch them all in tandem. There's something about curtains and hallways that people really loved, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, just Andrew Lloyd Webber on mo- more cocaine. Oh, my God, exactly. <laughs> Though I've never seen any Andrew Lloyd Webber in my life. I know that Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat was like, everyone was fucking talking about it in the 90s, and they were all talking about the stupid play, and I was like, what is this? And then by default, never saw it. I still don't know what it is, but mm. I know it was a big deal. Well, I I was uh, subjected to it because I used to used to go to church. Oh, <laughs> yeah. is it a is it a Christian thing? Yeah. So Joseph uh, is a character from the Bible, oh. but also in uh, uh, Jewish texts as well. He's an Old Testament. Character. I must have fucking known that. That yeah. seems like pretty obvious. But for me, it was sort of like this annoying kid. I thought it was like a kids thing or something. Yeah, but it is a kids thing. It, well, yeah. It's like it's a um, it's kind of like Jesus Christ Superstar. Right, which I also don't know what that is, but I know it's yeah. a musical. That's the thing. I was a snobby kid, but like ironically, I'm like, oh, but I'm just gonna go home and like what? Like listen to Enya with my mom, like really superior stuff, you know? <laughs> I kind of miss that era though. I should have been paying attention. Just a, a thing I was thinking about with uh, with music videos, because you mentioned like, you know, that Andrew Lloyd Webber, like Phantom, everything looked like Fra- Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure Phantom you've noticed opera. this, but with 90s, like everything looked like Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Wait a minute. Hold on. Unpack that a bit. Oh, Terry Gilliam was uh, uh, Brazil, Fear and Loathing okay. in Las Vegas. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I was thinking for some reason, I was thinking Monty Python. I was no. like, wait a minute. <laughs> well... I'm agreeing he, with this really he fast. Was, what? He was involved in Monty Okay, Python. that's what yeah. I thought. Okay, okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah, and also though, there was like that sort of like downcast, like somber, maudlin, like eeriness to all 90s yes. videos. Like, ooh, why is the clown crying in the corner in the shadow? Like that was it's also symbolism. a vibe. <laughs> yeah, sim- like for, yeah. everyone was depressed in the 90s. Like, excuse me, have you seen 2023? Like, just wait, you guys. But <laughs> I think like there's such a, I love, I love how every, decade has its own thing and i think it's really funny like 80s 
as I said, big hair, big snare. Mm-hmm. Videos were like crazy and fast. And there was like, have you seen Gowan's video from Moonlight Desire? No, I haven't. Oh my God. It's my favorite video of all time. It is so funny and it's so beautiful. I actually referenced it in the first video for this record. I don't feel it like I used to with my director, Nolan Lewis. And we we were just both laughing and thinking how amazing this Gowan video is because he's like on... I think Chichen Itza in Mexico. I think it's Chichen Itza. He's on a pyramid in Mexico running around at sunset. And it's so funny. It's so, but it's also beautiful, you know? And then the 90s, yeah. Like a weird twisted clown, like a distortion, like a dis- uh, contortion artist or like some guy with like a tattoo on his eyeball. Like, yeah. It's like weird or whatever. I mean, so like the, the Nine Inch Nails music videos are kind of like the apex of yeah. that. Remember that? Remember that video? Was it Lemon heads or something it was like or it was tool the video for tool schism it was like claymation but there's like an intestine or something it was so fucking weird i remember that as a kid (laughs) i'm like what is this this is the weirdest is this what being an adult looks like like this weird claymation shit (laughs) yeah yeah their music videos were great i know um adam jones the guitarist uh was uh is before the band took off, he was a visual effects artist. Like he worked oh. on like uh, Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street movies and stuff like oh, that. Interesting. So, yeah, that's interesting. So he did all the all the um, um, stuff with the puppets and the stop motion for their videos. That that he definitely did this video for Schism. Then was it Schism? I don't know. Either way, yeah, yeah. that adds up. That clocks in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you have a. Uh, 2000s uh, hip hop videos where everything looks like it was shot in the side of cheese crater. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's yeah. right. So cool. Oh my god. Fish Islands, like you know the low. Um, I'm gonna butcher the ter- the the filmmaking term, but like the really like extreme close ups, like yeah. the low depth of field. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And everything was silver. Silver was like really interesting mm-hmm. in the early 2000s, and like frosty makeup. Oh, what a great era. Frosted tips. Frosted tips. <laughs> yes. Frosted tips, frosted hair, frosted makeup, frosted cheese graters. Oh, what a great time. Great time to be alive. I had a chance to listen back to your past two albums. And I noticed, of course, that uh, Portraits definitely leans into synth pop more than Young Mopes. Uh, in what ways does Element build upon the sounds you were playing around with on Portraits? Um, I think that Element is definitely just freeing myself from any sort of um, intention of what to create. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, but Element is really me leaning into beautiful synth sounds that I haven't actually played with before and not trying to add any darkness, I guess. Um, I wasn't feeling that. I was feeling like I wanted it to be very floaty. Early 2000s chill out music was a huge influence and, and bands like Air, trip hop music, and I think with making portraits, I mean, I work with Damian Taylor, who's like my guru. I look up to him so much. He's incredible, an incredible producer. And Matthew Robertson, who did a lot of synths on that record too. I learned a lot from them during that that moment in time. And we were talking about that era of music, like late 90s, early 2000s, and what kind of synths were being used. And it kind of left an impression on me, like, okay, I've really, I've done the Juno, I'm I've definitely like dove into the Moogs. Like it's time to maybe explore a bit more like modern, airy kind of um, softer synthesizers and and just create music I wanted to hear in the moment, I guess. But yeah, Portraits was like very much rooted in pop music and, 
element is too, but Portraits was sort of like, almost like, let's go for, like, like that's experiment in, in making pop music, you know? It was really fun. And Element was that, but also just like frozen in this moment in time where it was pop music, but also like self-soothing. <laughs> Creating palettes that felt nice to my brain. Yeah, like Portraits kind of being like the, the bigger, more, the louder yeah. quote-unquote album of the two. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting too because Portraits I wrote knowing I'd tour it and feeling like, okay, like I'm going to have a drummer do this. I'm going to get some tracks for this and whatever. But making Element, I had no idea if I'd even tour it. I didn't even know how I would recreate it live. I still don't. And I think that was really a huge difference too. It's just not really seeing it be be like this big tour, like let's tour this record or whatever. It was kind of a more intimate uh, creative process. One of the more uh, interesting elms that you dropped was an instrumental dub record, Silhouettes, which is a companion to Portraits. Yeah. What would a Silhouette-style companion to Element sound like to you? Ooh, probably just ambient, like just super ambient. Mm. No beats, just airy sounds and like... Enya, just Enya. <laughs> <laughs> Literally just an Enya covers album. Basically, yeah. yeah. One day, I mean, no, that's untouchable. I really I really could never fuck with Enya. She vo she doubles her vocals so many times too. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think I could do it. Well, I think that's part of the reason, I, we talked about this, but like, I think uh, that was one of the reasons why she chose not to tour. Yeah. Because she was able to not to as well, but yeah. like, it's because she's, she's like, I cannot recreate my no. music live. It's, no, she'd have to sing to like her own backing tracks and that would take away, I think, the charm. Though nowadays it would probably be fine, but. I think so. Because we're used to seeing that now. It's yeah. not that crazy, but yeah. I mean, I, I quadruple most of my harmonies and that alone, I've just accepted. It's going on a backing track. <laughs> I can't recreate that shit live, but in terms of a lead vocal. Yeah, and yeah, she's so special. She always comes up, doesn't she? Mm -hmm. She's just a magical she's woman. She's always there. <laughs> yeah, she's always there. Bless her. Oh, is it just a picture of her living in her castle with her cats or oh, something? With her safe room? Like, oh, she's so cool. Yeah. So iconic. I always thought um, backing tracks are kind of an interesting thing where like, I know, uh, <clears throat> especially when Autotune came out, it was super controversial. And I remember, yeah. especially me being in <laughs> high school and me being in my like long hair, Black Sabbath, Nirvana, Soundgarden yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. frame of mind where you think, oh, y'all pop music sucks. And yeah, this yeah, yeah. It sucks. You're not even singing. Yeah, it's puberty. Um, yeah. It's puberty, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I remember it took me a while to like appreciate like autotune because I think like for me the, the rewiring was like, oh, dude, well, you like it when there's pedals that are used like distortion yeah. pedals for guitars totally. so it's the same sort of thing yeah i love that i guess where i where i still struggle with like backing tracks though is when and it's, it applies more to hip-hop as well but like every instrument's just a backing track and like okay can you have like yeah. a drummer on stage or something yeah but yeah, yeah. I, I definitely love i love having real um real elements on stage i think it's important at least for my live show but i think autotune's interesting because Every time new technology enters the the conversation, we sort of reject it. You know, we're like, no, oh, that's weird. No, it's taking away from the human, whatever. But then we sort of learn to adapt to it and use it as a new tool. And autotunes become that. And I mean, if you are working in a studio and you only have like 10 hours booked or whatever, and you have a vocalist who's like super not on pitch, I mean, what are you going to do? spend another day in a studio or just fucking tune it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's kind of amazing. But for me, um, I really, I can't even remember your question, but I just like talking about this stuff. It's fun. I think auto-tune is a really interesting um, 
vocal effect as well nowadays. I mean, since the, you know, T-Pain entered the, entered the chat, mm -hmm. <laughs> we're all like now used to hearing that and share making believe and Eiffel 65 blue. I yep. mean, there's so many times that we've used these vocal modifications from autotune and it sounded cool, you know? It's part of just, I think, technology evolving. It's like AI, you know? AI is gonna be a, a taking over music one day and how it were, that sucks, but also like maybe we can use it as a creative tool rather than let it just become this song generator, you know? Yeah, there is an AI, I think, I didn't look into it in too much detail, uh, but I know recently there was an AI generated weekend Drake collab song yeah and everyone's yeah. just like what the hell this is scary yeah it is scary yeah. it is really scary it also is interesting because like I am such a song snob like I just hate shitty songs and I think that AI I'd be curious to know if that would maybe like I don't know like how is that going to affect songwriting I wonder you know like what are we are we going to be competing with algorithmic songs that are written to be perfect what the fuck you know yeah, there's no such thing as a perfect song. Yeah. Well, okay, no, there are, but that's a completely subjective. It's totally subjective, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And maybe AI is just somebody's taste, and maybe it's not mine, or maybe it is. I don't know. It's interesting. You know? Yeah. Well, here's a, here's one idea I had, because I know you've seen this. Virtual bands have been a thing, but yeah. I do wonder, it's like, oh, no, is that going to become more common where studios yeah. like, no, we just have our virtual artists. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that... I certainly don't gravitate towards it. I don't find, because like, I I like a mystery, an element of mystery to things I tend to gravitate towards. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if AI can be mysterious because there's nothing it's hiding except the fact that it's AI, you know? Yeah, it's a program. We so, know it's yeah. a computer. Yeah, like there's no underlying like hidden message or whatever. So it kind of inherently is no longer in the same category as a real artist, I think for me, but also... Not to say I wouldn't like it. I don't know. I, especially for ambient music, which is kind of just like nothingness anyway. Yeah, you know? I, I could see AI very easily make ambient yeah, music. Absolutely. And but, things that are co coordinating with different frequencies for your different chakras and all that kind of like mm -hmm. new age stuff. It's interesting. I do wonder if, uh, especially if like, oh, no, we're, we're just going to have AI pop artists. If, yeah. if they're, we're going to encounter this like... Um, like listening uncanny valley where like there will be a certain point where people will reject it to a certain degree automatically because we know that's not a real person yeah. singing yeah for example i guess but like also we've adapted so deeply into being attached to our phones and our personal devices that mm -hmm. when we hear a voice from a phone we still understand it's a person's voice coming through the phone but like it doesn't really affect the fact that we're still feeling emotions from that voice, even mm -hmm. though it's filtered through a phone. This is like kind of a bad analogy, but humans just adapt really quickly. You know, we're all going to have fucked up spines one day from looking at our phones, like everything evolves. And I just think it's interesting. It's depressing, but interesting to think yeah. how it'll affect our lives. Yeah. Cause it's like, um, you know, I, I love sci-fi and stuff like that, and it's just weird going like, "Wait, what? This this is happening in my lifetime? What the yeah. what is going on?" I know. Yeah. I really, I'm I'm a big, big, big fan of thinking for yourself and creating your own reality and your own perspective. I actually don't do social media on the weekends. Sometimes I have to, but generally I don't have social media on the weekends just to like recalibrate. And I find two days off totally 
re- it just like it totally recalibrates me and I just kind of forget. And then by the end of the week, I'm doom scrolling and then I cut it off and then I start again. But for me, that's a way I can retain a perspective, I think, that's healthier. Mm. Whereas, um, I don't know, it's just, it's such a weird world. But we would have said that from the 1800s to 1700s, like, oh my God, the wheel was invented. You know, like it's so hard to really grasp what's actually that radical because time just keeps moving and technology will keep coming. And we're just these bodies with long arms. Like, yeah. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> we're just like, yeah, we're evolved from apes basically (laughs) yeah exactly i mean look at twitter like what the fuck i mean like what can you do (laughs) except not go on it you know yeah yeah i uh i noticed on on your instagram uh you posted a couple days ago that you visited loeb studios to record music using 4d technology which you mentioned briefly earlier on in our chat Uh, what does that process involve i was just looking at that and going like what? Yeah, it's so cool. I, I mixed one of my tracks in, in spatial audio at Loeb Studio, and I'm by no means an expert. I was just learning how to use the equipment in a very, very preliminary way. I'd love to dive in deeper because I really don't know how it works yet. But essentially, at Loeb, I believe they have 12 or 16 speakers installed in this room, and you are getting sound from the ceiling, from the floor, from the corners, and you can mix your song so... You can have, like, for example, the song I mixed was called Play, Play Pretend from my new record. And I have, I have like, tons and tons of vocal stacks. I have uh, ocean waves. I have um, wooden blocks. I have hand claps. I have all these layers of production. And it was really fun to sort of be like, okay, let's have the, the wood block come in on the far right speaker only once or whatever and let's have the guitar come in in a spiral pattern from the ceiling down into the room then back up again and you can see because I'm a visual person so it really works for me but you can see on the screen it's a program called Dante and you can see every speaker if you select it you can see it highlighted and you can choose the shape you can choose the space you can choose where it's coming from, what part of the room it's coming from. You can choose a pattern in which it can move around. So you're basically creating a live experience from a recorded track that you can automate. And it's not something you can like print off and send to Spotify or whatever. That would be Atmos and that's a whole different process, which I believe is pro- probably unrealistic for most people to do. I haven't done it myself, but... Um, Mixing a 40 was, it's fascinating. I really, again, I'm not an expert. I just learned, I'm just learning how to do it. But um, it's, an, it's, especially for the kind of music I make, it's really, really making me think about different kinds of production now. Because a lot of the space, a lot of the music that's played at Loeb Studios that I've heard so far is a lot of experimental, ambient, kind of um, like abstract music, like samples and different kind of pieces that are very beautiful and very, very visual, but not necessarily structured pop music like I'm doing. So that was really interesting too, because I'm like, okay, like the lead vocals, where should they sit? And I think the answer is in the middle and then put the backgrounds swirling around. But like, does that work? Does it distract from the song? It's so fun. It's so much fun. And there's, it's literally, you cannot... You can never find yourself at the end of the possibilities. It's infinite. You can do whatever you want. It's crazy. I, I got to wonder whether there's like something that'll come about where um, 
there's like yeah, like experience the album in four four D. One hundred percent. Like yeah. the planetarium laser shows, like for bands and stuff like that that yeah. they used to have. Yeah, I played there. I've had record releases there. Oh yeah, yeah. I think yeah. we we might have talked about that. Um, yeah. When we had you be- last on the show, but yeah, like uh, I'm kind of thinking like, well, man, like is that going to be a way that like some artists like do like their album release parties like oh, listen to this album in 4d i'm literally doing yeah. that on monday well, i'm literally go. having a listening party in 4d so i i think i think it's the future and i think it's interesting because um as the technology becomes more accessible then more people can access it and do it but you have to have a studio in which is set up mm-hmm. to do it right and that's the the issue i think for a lot of people is it's kind of like sound design and or not sound design it's like getting your room tuned and getting your room soundproofed or whatever you have to have a science to that otherwise it's just like who knows if you put the panel at the wrong spot it's going to make the sound sound warped or whatever and you're not going to hear it as it actually is and same with 4D if you don't have your speakers placed correctly then there's there's no point to it really well, there is, but it's not going to be the same as um, a professional space. But yeah, it's been really interesting. And I've been really craving a different kind of live experience, especially for my own music. I can't really imagine this record being like, here it is as a band playing it. Like, it's not that kind of record, even though I love those kind of records. I love watching bands, but it's really got me thinking about how to approach in the future and what that might what that might look like and depending on what I can access. And yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, sounds like it. So besides the uh, uh, listening party, which you're doing, um, with the record having dropped very recently, uh, what do you have planned to promote Element for the rest of 2023? Well, I have a one show booked in Vancouver for a more official release party, but that's in July because mm. I wanted to wait for a good day. So um, I think Devours is going to play with me. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love him. And um, I might, I'm going to have another band with me too. I'm not sure who yet, but likely an artist. I'm an up and coming artist I'm producing, if I'm lucky. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking of making it kind of a special event, not just like a show, but more like a fun party, a theme party. And um, I'm playing a show in Rossland, BC, a festival later this year. And hopefully some more in between, but um, I'm also going to Mexico next week to start promoting the record down there as well. And uh, who knows, really? Yeah. Have you uh, like started the process of figuring out how to how to play Element Live with the band? <laughs> God, I've asked a few people if they play with me, and I guess that's a start. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, I've started to look at my tracks and starting to play with them and see what it looks like to play certain certain sets and in a more pared down way but yeah i've got a lot of i think it's not a lot of work but i have some work to do there for sure yeah what local bands or artists would you recommend we check out or bring on the show for a future episode um molly anel she's great she is an incredible singer songwriter producer and she makes music that reminds me of my childhood it's like r&b very beautiful um Nada. N- oh. It's Nada. Yeah, Nada. Nada. Yeah, we've had yeah. them on the show, but... You did? Yep. Oh, okay then. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, well, I'll probably have them on again. Have you had they... Fake Shark on the show? No, not yet. You should get Kevy. Yeah. Kevy's like even more chatty than I. He, he, Yeah, for a long time. Kevy is so fun, and he's he's like me. He'll just talk and talk. He likes to nerd out. And um, Toddy, fantastic artist. Um, they are a drag artist, and we just finished a record with, with them. It's coming out, I think, next year. But they're really great. Um, did you, did have you had Devours on? 
Uh, may or may not be having him on soon. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be good. I've had Jeff on the show before to talk about his other project, uh, the Golden Age of Wrestling, but yeah, yeah, yeah. really keen to talk about the Devourer stuff. Yeah. It's so great live. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. I, just, I love everything that Jeff does. Just yeah. like very, like talk about carving out your own unique space within Absolutely. just music in general. I, I yeah. can't think of any other artist that like sounds like Devours. Me neither. It's just such a fun, exp- just seeing it live too. It's just so big and huge sounding. I just I can't wait to nerd out and see what he's doing for his live stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's so many great artists. I mean, just people who like to nerd out, you know, just get some nerds on here. Yeah. These are my people. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll call it a bad if that works Perfect. For you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, James Olson. Before we close this episode off with one more song by our featured guest, I just want to let you know that you can keep up with what we're up to on Facebook and Instagram at Pacific Sound Radio and on our website at PacificSoundRadio.com. In a fever dream made Cause baby been an awful fright When we're alone, alone in our Sometimes two people fall out of love Cause one of